Good morning. How's everybody doing today? You guys doing great? Good. I'm excited today. Get to bring, uh, I'm going to bring a message today from the story of Elijah. Um, it's going to be from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. And I've entitled it, A Word, A Walk, and the Ways. A Word, a Walk, and the Ways. And the main points are going to be, well, let me just back up. All through Scripture, and if you know anything about the mission of our church, if you, if you looked online or if you've been here for a while, you know that we love to do this one thing. It's that we love to use unlikely people in overlooked places to do extraordinary things to lay claim for that which Jesus has already paid. And that all through Scripture, we see God using everyday, ordinary people to do amazing things. And it wasn't just in the Bible that God used ordinary people. He still does it today. He still does it today. And so when we look at the story of Elijah, you know, when we think of Elijah, we think of fire coming down from heaven. And we think of him multiplying the widow's flour and oil. And we think of him raising this, this kid from the dead. But do you know before all that, he was just an ordinary guy? We forget that Elijah was ordinary. We think of how amazing and, and what a great prophet he was. We think of the miracles that he performed. But he was an ordinary guy. Matter of fact, he was really from a no-name town. And when we look at, at 1 Kings 17, 1, it says, and he just kind of burst onto the scene out of nowhere. Now, if you remember when you read the Bible, how many times does it say, and John was the son of Bill, and who was the son of, of, of uh, Jeremy, who was, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And he grew up in, in the year of uh, this king and, and did this. And we don't know anything about Elijah. We don't know who his parents were. We don't really know when he started following the Lord. We don't know when he became a prophet. We, we do maybe know that his parents were believers. At least they believed in God. Elijah's name means, my God is Jehovah. So his parents, when they named him, they named him, my God is Jehovah. So we probably know his parents are some sort of, of believers at that time. But we don't know a lot about him. It says, Elijah the Tishbite. What is a Tishbite? I didn't say tick bite. I know somebody here got a tick bite recently, and it's not a tick bite. Tish bite. He's from the city of Tishbe. Nobody really knows where that is. It says of the inhabitants of Gilead. They, they, the scholars can't even figure out where his town was from. It would kind of be like if you grew up in Flintstone. <laughs> if you grew up in Flintstone, I'm sorry. My dad grew up in Flintstone. Of course, it's always was, oh, yeah, your dad, Fred Flintstone. Hey, hey, hey. But... No, he's from a no-name town. He's, a no he's just like an ordinary guy. But God used this ordinary man with no pedigree, no record of education, no record of, of going to ministry school or anything to do amazing things. God can use you in the ordinary, everyday life that we live to do really big, amazing things. And he wants to. He really wants to use you. And so I just want to show you a few things from the story of Elijah that, that should help you take that next step in your walk with the Lord. And we're going to look at these three things that Elijah did. He delivered a word from God. He developed a walk with God. And he began to discover, number three, the ways of God. Delivered a word from God, developed a walk with God, and discovered the ways of God. And really, one builds on the other. It's kind of a progression. Nothing out of reach for us by any means, but we can certainly learn from it. What I love about Elijah, if you read James chapter 5, verse 17, he's mentioned a number of times in the New Testament. James says this. He says that, now if you have a translation, I, I put the MEV up here because I don't, actually, although I use New King James a lot, I don't like the translation of King James. So since I'm preaching, I guess I get to pick the translation I want to use. Uh, but a lot of translations say that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. They'll translate it that way. Well, 
we know that Elijah did not have a nature like yours because if you get saved and you accept Jesus, you get a new nature. You get a brand new nature on the inside of you. He didn't have that opportunity. He walked with God. He was empowered by God, but he never had the opportunity to accept Jesus because Jesus wasn't born yet, didn't die yet, like we do. So I don't like that translation. It's not even the real word. Uh, the Greek word is homo pashko. Homo meaning alike or similar. Pashko meaning passion. or, or, or uh, So it means that he had the same issues that we do. Anybody get issues? The, the amplified version says it like this. It said that he had the same limitations. He had the same issues that we go through. He wasn't like always living on top of the mountain. He, ha- he went through some stuff. And so the MEV says it this way. It says he was a man subject to natural passions as we are. He had limitations. He had issues. He had stuff that he dealt with. Like we all do. But God took this guy with similar passions, similar issues, similar stuff in his life, and used him to do some really, really amazing things. God will use you too. Same thing. It says that he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It did not rain on the earth for six, three years and six months. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and read. Uh, I want to read 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read uh, down through the very beginning of verse 10. And then we'll, uh, we'll make a f- few points from there. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain on these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose And went to Zarephath. Father God, I just thank you today for your word. Your word is powerful. Your word is alive. And God, we ask now that your word would speak to us, teach us, Lord, conform us to the image of Jesus, make us more like you. Lord, give us something that we can live on this week. Daily bread, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go to the next slide. So, Three things. The first thing we see, we see Elijah. He just kind of burst onto the scene, and it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to who? Ahab. What do we know about Ahab? Because it's important to know a little bit about this story. Ahab was the seventh king of Israel. And if you go back in chapter 16, it'll tell you toward the end of chapter 16 how he, be, he becomes king. And who was Ahab married to? Boy, everybody knows that one. Anybody know a Jezebel? So Ahab, it says, it says in 1 Kings 16, it says that Ahab was a, he was the most wicked king up to that point. He, he, he was awful. And not only was he very wicked and evil, he marries a very wicked demonic woman. And this woman, Jezebel, had this demonic influence over his life. And she actually, because of him, it says they began to worship Baal. Now, Baal was a bad dude. He was one of the gods that they worshipped back then. And so here's the king of Israel, supposed to be the the, the leader of this country, this nation, supposed to be a man of God, and he actually brings Baal worship in. And if you go forward a chapter to chapter 18, it says that, that he and his wife actually massacred the prophets of God actually killed them. But he, they, for whatever reason, they kept one guy in, in the palace. His name was Obadiah. And it said that Obadiah actually hid 
100 prophets of the Lord. He put 50 in this cave, and he put 50 in another cave, and he said he fed them bread and water every day to keep them alive. And so for whatever reason, here they have 450 prophets of Baal that they're feeding every day. They have 400 more prophets of Asherah, a female goddess they also worship. They're feeding those guys every day. So 850 prophets in the, in the palace getting fed at the queen's table every day, but they've massacred prophets of God. They left Obadiah, but they're, just, they're, trying to, they're trying to do away with God. They're trying to do with worship of the true God. And that's the scene. So it's not like Ezekiel. Maybe I should preach on Ezekiel. It's not like Elijah is coming up to this king. It's this jovial guy, and he's like, like everybody's best friend. No, this guy and his wife are killing prophets, massacring prophets. And he walks up to the king who will probably behead him when he says this. And he says, I've got a word from God for you. There's not going to be dew nor rain for these days until I say so. And so God is trying to use him to turn this nation around. And he walks up. So where, where, did, where did Elijah get this boldness? Where did he get it in him to say, you know what? I think I'll just go up to the king and tell him there's going to be a drought. I th that sounds like a good idea. Now, there's no record of him praying in this chapter. But what do we read in James chapter 5, 17? It said that he prayed that there would be no rain, and there was no rain for three and a half years. So where did this prayer take place? I believe it took right here. It says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. Some versions will say, before whom I serve. It literally means before is the Hebrew word panim, which means face. It means presence. It says that I literally stand in the presence of God. I literally remain in his presence. I dwell in his presence. I stand in the very presence of God. And the Lord God of Israel who lives, before whose face I stand, this is what he says. Would you be scared to deliver a word like that? <laughs> yeah, that word could cost you your life. But nonetheless, he has this word. Think about this. What if Elijah had spent this time in God's presence praying, and he received the word, but he never left his prayer closet? What if he never left the prayer closet to go tell Ahab the word that God wanted him to deliver? Had he stayed in the prayer closet, in the, in, in the presence of God, and not left to go deliver the word, the drought may never have come. Israel may have not reconciled to God. And they would have continued down the path of Baal worship. Or maybe you're a Calvinist and you think the drought would have come anyway. It may have, I don't know. If you're a Calvinist, I apologize. Just picking on you. But you're like, you know what? Whether he said it or not, God wanted a drought, there's going to be a drought. Let's go down that for a minute. What if the drought would have happened anyway, but he never left his prayer closet to tell Ahab the drought's coming? When the drought came, what would Ahab assume? Huh. It's a weather abnormality. It's coincidence. It would have meant nothing. Do you see how the word delivered actually gave some importance to what happened at that time? Had he not delivered the word, he maybe would have never been catapulted to the level of national leadership. Here's a guy that's an ordinary guy, right? He's got no history, no, we don't know anything about him. He's a nobody. But do you know in three and a half years, three and a half years later, he's telling the king what to do? Because it started with delivering one word. Three and a half years later, he says to the king, he says, get your prophets, 
bring them to Mount Carmel and have them build an altar. And, and you know what the king said? Yes, sir. He went from being an obscure guy in Tisby, Flintstone, to telling the president what to do. And it started with delivering one word from God. I was thinking over this this morning. I felt God say this. He said, some of your prayer closets have turned into bomb shelters. I wrote it down because I thought it was really good. (laughs) Is prayer needed? You bet. But we can get in a season where we don't ever leave the comfort of that prayer closet and step out and deliver a word that God spoke to us that's going to change the face of a nation, change the face of a city. Ordinary God delivering one word from God. I know you're all sitting there, well, if I only had a word from God. Do you know when you get a word from God, you can't contain it? Did you know that? If you truly have a word from God, you can't keep it in. There... Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Here's, here's, here's another prophet, Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah, at that time, Old Testament prophets prophesied doom. That's not the function of a New Testament prophet. New Testament prophecy builds up and edifies, encourages, all those things, comforts. Old Testament prophets, part of what they did, they prophesied doom. So, so Jeremiah prophesies doom. God gives him the word. He does it. He gets locked up for it, put in stocks in jail. He's like, you know what? God, my resignation, I'm done. I quit. I followed you. I gave a word for you, and I'm done. And after he reflects on it, he's sitting there. He says this. He says, if I say I'll not mention his word or speak anymore his name, his word is like in my heart, like a what? A fire. It's like fire shut up. This is the only time you can say shut up in church. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. He says, I can't not say it. I know that's bad English, but if I wrote the Bible, I'd write it like this. I can't not say it because it's in me. There's a word in me, and I can't contain it because this word might bring deliverance to somebody else. Somebody needs what God has given me. I might need what God's given you. Well, you're standing over here. I'm just standing in my little closet. Minding my own business. Well, if I only had a word from God. Does anybody here have a word from God? Every head better be shaking. Every head better be shaking. Here's the thing. If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, you have a greater word than the majority of the people you come in contact with. Do you know that salvation is the greatest miracle of all time? That you possess a word that has the possibility and potential of radically changing somebody's life. That word is Jesus. I'm going to show you scripture to back it up. What's John? You'll, you'll look at this scripture differently now. John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, And the word was God. Verse 14 says this. And the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of what? Grace and truth. Verse 16 says this. And of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace or grace upon grace. The word is who? Jesus, who is God, who became flesh. And when he became flesh, we beheld the glory of the Father, which is grace and truth. And of his fullness, what's he full of? Grace and truth. Of his fullness, we've all received. Don't tell me you don't have a word. You have a word. His name is Jesus. 
See, there's not a problem with lack of word from God. There's a problem with you recognizing that you have one. And when you don't realize you have one, you just sit here all day asking for the thing that he's already given you. God, I need a word. I've given you a word. His name's Jesus. Oh, but that's not that good. I want a better word. That word's not going to change anybody's life. It changed mine. Did it change yours? You might want to tell somebody. See, maybe God's given you, maybe you have a word on grace. Maybe you have a word on forgiveness. Maybe you have a word on baptism in the spirit. Maybe you have a word on spiritual maturity. Maybe you have a word on finances. See, God gives special revelation and insight to certain people. You're like, well, I'm not listening to that guy because all he ever talks about is grace. Well, I'm not listening to her because all she ever talks about is growing up in the Lord. Well, maybe God's given them a word on that, and you might want to pay attention. See, if you don't have anything else, you have Jesus. And if you can't talk about anything else, you can talk about Jesus. Always waiting for a better word. Well, if you never get another one, that's enough. It's enough to change everything. So it starts with delivering the word that you have. Who has a word? If you only have one word, what is it? Jesus. Jesus. Now don't leave here today and say, I just wish I'd get a word from the Lord. Now does God give us specific words? You bet. But don't stand still. Don't put yourself, like, don't go on unemployment waiting for that next word. Use the word you got. See, because that leads to the next step, which is developing a walk with God. Elijah didn't get a book, he got a word. We want a book. God, I got a word, but I'd rather have a sentence, a chapter, and maybe a whole book. Elijah got one word. His word was, go tell Ahab that there's going to be a drought. He didn't know that God was going to protect him, provide for him. He didn't know that he would multiply the widow's oil and flour. He didn't know that he would raise her from the dead. He didn't know that he would call down fire from heaven. He only knew that God told him to do one thing. See, it starts with when does a step become a walk? Right? The baby took his first step. Is he walking yet? What about now? Now. See, if I want to take a, a walk with God, I've got to start with a step. But I'm not walking until I'm taking steps. What's everybody ask everybody today? Hey, how many steps did you get in today? Who cares? My wife and I, well, if we travel, she'd be like, hey, I got 6,000 steps. How many did you get? I'm like 5,500. I got more than, I'm like, no, we walk the same. My steps are bigger. <laughs> like, steps are irrelevant. And that's how, it depends on how big your stride is. I'm like, let's look at miles. That's, that's, a, that's an accurate measurement. We both walked 5,280 feet. That's a mile. It took you 6,000 steps. It took me 5,000. That, that's nothing. It's the same thing. We ought to be asking people, how many steps did you get with the Lord this week? Oh, I got quiet on that one. Well... I'm still in my prayer closet. Elijah got one word, and once he got one word and delivered it, what came next? Then. Then the word of the Lord, again. He didn't get step two until he what? 
took step one. See, are you guys like me? Or am I the only person that wants to know what happens when I do this, A, B, C, and D? And I got like this whole tree of possibilities. Well, if I do this, then it could be A, B, or C. And if it's A, then it might be one, two, three. And if it's B, it might be one, two. And, and, and then what about this God? And what's going to happen? Am I the only guy like that? Don't we all want to know what's going to happen? When Elijah delivered the word, he didn't know if he was going to die. He didn't know if he was going to live. It wasn't until he delivered it, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, Get away from here, turn eastward, hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And so I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he, what? Went. So he went and did according to the Lord. Do you know why God doesn't give you all the steps at one time? <laughs> You'd probably kill, you, kill yourself. He loves you. He doesn't give you all the steps because he loves you. If he told you everything that you had to do, do you know the more knowledge you have, the greater responsibility and the more accountable you are? And if he told you everything in advance, if you failed, you'd be held to a higher standard. So out of love for you and concern from you, he gives you one step. And then when you get that step, you get another step. And then another step. See, he doesn't always give them. Now, can he give you multiple steps? Yeah. The norm is one and then another, and then another, and then another. See, but you got to start with one. And you take a step of faith. And then you step two. And then when you have multiple steps, guess what it becomes? A walk. You're no longer taking a step, you're taking a walk with God. You're starting to learn how he does things, and you're developing a relationship with him. Anybody ever use a flashlight? No. Anybody ever drive a car at night? You headlights, right? You've used headlights. A flashlight. So when you turn your headlights on, you can see what? 100 feet maybe? I don't know, 200 feet? If you turn a flashlight on, you could probably see 10, 20 feet. That's as far as that light shines. Is there more out there? How do I find the more? Take a step. Guess what? The light moved. Step two, the light moves. Step three, the light moves. And that's how it is with God. So you've got you to trust that God knows better than you do. I heard somebody say this the other day. He said, God chooses our destination, but our choices determine our route. See, God has a plan out there, but the choices I make determine the journey I, I, I get there. And he probably would rather have a straight line for you. Anybody, right? The shortest distance between two points is what? Anybody ever travel a straight line? No, I never have. Because I make bad choices. I do dumb stuff. I'm getting better. It's more like this. It used to be like this. Right? Now it's just more like this. I'm like a fish. Some of you are just still in left field somewhere. You need to get back to second base. Psalm 105, or 119, verse 105 says this. says, your word is a light unto my feet, and what? A lamp unto my path. His word. His word lights the way. Word one. Then I get another word. And then I get another word. And see, there's this whole thing about faithfulness and stewardship. It applies to every area of your life, is that when you steward well what God gives you, what does he do? Gives you more. But we stand here, oh God, pour out, pour out prophecy on me. Well, you can't steward the word Jesus. Why would I give you anything else for now? You can't handle step one. But when you take step one and step two, 
start giving you some more. And next thing you know, you develop a walk with the Lord. The next verse in Psalm 37, it says this. It says, the steps of a good man or woman are what? Ordered. He orders them. He orders your steps. He's got a plan for your steps. Did he know that Elijah would be fed by the brook? Yeah, you bet. Did he know that he would multiply the widow's oil and flour? You bet. Did he know that Elijah would call down fire from heaven? Yeah, he did. Did he tell him all that in advance? No. Chances are, if we knew everything that God had for us, we'd probably just quit. Or we'd screw it up. He just gives you what you can handle today. And then when you get faithful with that, people will say to me, like, well, how do you do all that you do? I'm like, I don't know. Other than the grace of God, I really don't know. But I know that I didn't just start juggling ten balls at one time. I started with one. Right? How hard is it to juggle one ball? And then God gave me two, and it's just like this. I can't juggle, but then, you know, another one, three and four. But he didn't give me ten to start with. If you ever start juggling, you don't start with ten. One. Anybody juggle one ball? Everybody do that. Let's say this. Jesus. 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 Everybody got that down today. Jesus. That's not that hard. All right. I'm going to give you three things from this last point. As we take a step of boldness with the word that we've been given, God gives us what? Another word. And we take another step. And then I get another word. I take another step. And then the steps become a walk. And as I begin to walk with God, all of a sudden I begin to discover God's ways, how he does things. Now, does he change it up once in a while? All the time. But I begin to discover some things about God, the way he does things, things in his word, that, that we see patterns. And, and it's not always the same, but there's some principles you start learning about how God does things. So you can start, instead of being a spectator, all of a sudden now you're a participant. You're starting to learn why God does what he does and how God does what he does. And so what he says here. He says, and it'll be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you where? There. Where was Elijah? Probably in Samaria or wherever Ahab was at the time. What if Elijah would have said, I'm having a prayer rally for God to provide for me right here. Where was the provision? There. See, God makes provision where you're supposed to be, not necessarily where you're at. And then when you're walking with God and he gives you instruction to do something, the provision will be at the place that he's called you to. See, a lot of times God lays something on our heart. God has said to you, he'll say, I want you to say such and such, or I want you to go there, or I want you to give this, or I want you to help this person. And you're like, well, I don't have the means to do that. I, 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 don't, I, I can't do that. And God says, I'm not providing for you here, but when you get there, the provision will be where you're supposed to be. Anybody ever watch football? Now, I think it's ironic that he feeds Elijah with what? Ravens, which means ravens are servants to the prophets. <laughs> I hate Baltimore Ravens. Steal yeah, Elijah was a stealer. That's why the ravens were feeding him. <laughs> Did you ever watch a quarterback... Let's just say I have a wide receiver, and the wide receiver's on this side of the field, and he's going to catch it back there by the back door. 
does the quarterback throw the ball where the receiver is or where he's going to be? Where he's going to be. What if the receiver runs down there and is like, I'm open, I'm open. Where's the ball going to be? Bam. Where he's supposed to be. See, a lot of times you miss God's provision in your life because you're standing here trying to pray down heaven. He said, I've already called the ravens to feed you there. When did God make provision for Elijah? Before or after he got there? It's already provided for. It was already provided for. It wasn't, see, obedience is important, but obedience doesn't make the provision show up. So a lot of times people say, well, if you're obedient, God will bless you. Or if you're obedient, God will do this. No, God doesn't respond to your obedience. He responded to Jesus' obedience. And because Jesus was obedient, he's provided all things pertaining to life and godliness for you. What obedience does, it positions me to receive what he's already provided by grace. See, it's there, but if I'm here, I'm going to miss it. Obedience gets me there, but obedience doesn't cause the provision to show up. It just positions me to receive what he's already provided for me by grace. No matter what that wide receiver does, he might be open, he might think he has a better plan. Who calls the shots? Who's your quarterback? When a quarterback says go there, where are you going to go? I'm going there, because there's where the provision is. How many know that the ravens feeding him? Think about that. Imagine going to a brook. Ravens are kind of dirty, right? At least the ones from Baltimore. But imagine, I had to get that in. Football season's right around the corner. But dirty animals bringing meat, and where did they get the bread? You know, they've taken his bread off somebody's table. The meat probably is from some carcass. But nonetheless, God sends meat and bread twice a day. Miraculous or not? Yes and amen. He said, the ravens will feed you there, but you'll also drink from the brook. Drinking from the brook is natural. And sometimes we miss God's provision because we're waiting on a miracle, but he wants to supply naturally. See, we're like, oh, God, I need a miracle, I need a miracle. And he said, provided a brook. And so God not only provides for you supernaturally, but he also provides naturally. Remember the story about the guy that was in the flood? He's on the roof of his house, and the water's coming up. You guys ever hear that story? It's like a joke. Guy comes up in a rowboat, says, hey, hop in the rowboat. Guy's like, nah, God's going to save me. I'm praying. I'm a man of prayer. God's going to save me. Guy's like, all right, whatever. Next, the Coast Guard rolls up in the powerboat. Like, hey, hop in the powerboat. Nope. I'm a man of God. God's going to save me. All right, whatever. Next thing you know, the state police come down in, in a helicopter, and they put the rope down. They're like, hop on the... Get on the ladder and get in the helicopter. God's like, no, God's going to save me. Guess what? The guy died. He drowned. He goes to heaven. He's like, God, I believed in you. You were supposed to save me. God said I sent a rowboat, a powerboat, and a helicopter. What more do you want? Like, The natural is sometimes the way God provides for you. I was buying a store a couple years ago. The store was, this business was way more money than I I had. Didn't have the money. Uh, Through a series of events, guess what I had? I had a word from God. Uh, And so I moved in it. And then the next day I woke up and I was scared to death. Like, what did I just do? I I don't have this money. (laughs) And so what did I do next? 
help save me, God. Prayed, yeah, right? And, and so through a set of circumstances, the bank that I worked with at the time would only loan 50 cents on the dollar. So whatever the cost of this business was, they would loan 50%, and you had to come up with 50%. I didn't have the 50%, and I just signed in my name to this deal. And so somebody told me about another bank. Of course, what's everybody want? Everybody wants pennies from heaven, right? I'm like, hey, God, wouldn't it be cool if you just dropped a, a check in my mailbox? That, I need a miracle right now. Well, that didn't happen. But God led me to a bank that did 100% financing. With one phone call in about five minutes, I called up M&T Bank. I said, hey, by the way, BMO Harris Bank will do 100%. Oh, we'll do 100% too. Bam. Now, there was nothing supernatural about that. I still had to borrow the money. But God supplied in a natural way, supernaturally. And sometimes we miss the hand of God because we overlook the natural. Same thing's true in healing. I, I know people that will not go to the doctor because they're waiting for God to heal them. That's dumb. Like with a capital D. Does God heal miraculously? You bet. Have we seen it here? Yes. But you know that God, God, let me just talk about healing for a minute. God heals three ways. He heals naturally. Anybody ever cut their finger? Did it heal up? Who did that? Wasn't your skin. God did it. So God heals naturally. God heals medically. Who gave the doctor the wisdom to know how to operate? He and that, that doctor's not that smart. God gave them that ability. And God heals supernaturally. I've seen God remove tumors like that. At work. Not in church. At work. Do I pray for that? Yes. Do I ignore going to a doctor? No, because I don't know which way it's going to be. Don't exclude the natural waiting for the miracle to happen. That's what I'm telling you. As you walk with God, he can meet your needs in a multitude of ways. His provision is not necessarily where you are, but where you're supposed to be. The provision is not always supernatural, but sometimes natural. And then finally, it says, And it happened after a while that the brook dried up. Now imagine this. Is Elijah following the Lord? He's obeying the Lord, and the thing that he's obeying in dries up. What would the tendency, what would you normally do when the brook dries up? How many days can you live without water? Three to four? You can live about three or four days without water. The water in the brook didn't just evaporate overnight. I'm sure Elijah, the, the, those ravens are coming. They're bringing him food. They're bringing him bread every day, morning, night, and every day. They're in the middle of a drought. Guess what's happening to the water? Lord, it's getting lower. Lord, it's getting lower. Lord, it, it's, it's barely a trickle. You know, I can't live for three or four days without water. Hey, God. Now, what would most of us do when that water starts to run out? Freak out or get out, right? Freak out or get out. Elijah didn't either. Because he was accustomed to waiting on what? A word so he could take his next step. See, when God was sending him to the widow at Zarephath, if you read ahead in chapter 17, when he finds her, when he gets to her, she has enough meal and enough flour for how many more meals? It's her last day. She said, I'm, I'm making a fire, I'm going to cook a cake for me and my son, and then we're going to lay down and die. If Elijah had freaked out and got out early, he might have got there when she had a week's worth of food. And there had been no need for a miracle in her life that would supply for him, her and also for Elijah. 
Or if he'd have waited too long, well, God, this is where you told me to stay. I'm staying right here till I die. Guess what would have happened? He would have died. And guess who else would have died? The woman and her kid. But he was patient in the word that he had until the next word came. And so when God gives you a word and sends you to a place, you stay in that thing, in that ministry, in that whatever it is that God sends you to until he gives you another word. That's faithfulness. Faithfulness is continuing to do the last thing God told you to do until he tells you to do something else. He didn't freak out. He didn't jump out of the boat. He didn't run looking for more water. He waited. And when he waited, God directed him at the exact right day so that he showed up on that woman's when she's making her very last cake. And he says, give me a little first and then make one for you and your son. And the flour and the oil will never run out until the drought's over. That wouldn't have happened if he'd have freaked out and jumped out. I like that. Thank you. Freaked out and jumped out. The place that you're supposed to be isn't static. Just because God sends you on a route that way, sometimes the quarterback changes the pattern. And you get so used to running a down and out to the left that the defense figures out the play and the quarterback says, hey, we need to run this way and to the right. And the pattern changes. And when the quarterback changes the pattern and now there is there and you're still over here, well, God didn't come through for me. No, God came through. It's just over here now. Because the place that you went isn't the place you're supposed to be now. Or you thought the, the, the defense had already figured it out, so you start going that way too early. The ball's still there. See, when God gives you a word... You walk in it, and then he gives you another word, and you walk in it, and you begin to understand and develop a walk with God. And as you begin to develop a walk with God, all of a sudden you're going to start to see patterns. Oh, God works this way. Oh, I understand this. I can have a little more confidence now the way God does things because he did it for me before. And if he did it before, he'll do it again. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. And I can start to be more bold. But then just about the time when I think I have it figured out, guess what? He changes the play. And then we go back to, but that's what keeps the walk with God exciting. is because you're never going to discover all there is to know about God. He's infinite. And he'll never lay more on you than you can handle because he loves you. But he always has your best interest at heart. He really does. I'll close with this last verse from Psalms. It's 103, verse uh, 7. It says, He, speaking of God, He made known His ways to who? Moses, but His acts to the children of Israel. He made known His ways to Moses. said Moses spoke with God how as a man face to face where did Elijah stand he said I before whom I stand I stand in the presence of God and the more time you spend in the presence of God the more time you spend walking out being faithful with God tells you to do it says that God made known his acts that means his modus operandi his mode of operation he actually started to tell Moses not just what was going to happen but why don't we all want to know why like I'm the guy that wants to know why it works and how it works not just that it works but what did Israel see he made known to Israel the acts what did they saw the miracles but they didn't know the reason behind them and it's the difference between being the wide receiver catching the ball and being the guy up in the 600 seats watching the game. See, the guy watching the game sees the catch. 
He sees the act. But the player actually understands the way. We having a fire alarm here or what? Hold on. So we got a little uh, little background noise up here. Somebody help me out. Oh. Oh yeah. It is. Who wants to read Don's text? <laughs> Don was texting me. He's like, "Time to close." He said, time, time to land this plane. All right, let's pray. I just want you um, just take, I just want you to take a few minutes, and I just want you to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself this question, Lord, what are you saying to me today? What are you speaking to me today? What word do you have for me today or what word have I not been faithful with up to this point where do you want me to go what do you want me to do who do you want me to say something to who do you want me to give something to whatever it is and whatever that thing is that God is tugging at your heart about right now here's what we know from this story is he's already made a way he didn't say to Elijah, he didn't say, I will command the ravens to feed you there. He said, I've already commanded them. It's already done. And here's what you can know, that when you walk with Jesus, God's already got it paid. It's, he's already paid for everything. Jesus took care of your bill, and by grace, it's already done. That's why, that's why we say that we use unlikely people in overlooked places to do extraordinary things, to lay claim to that which what Jesus has already paid for because it's there. He's already provided forgiveness. He's already provided uh, boldness. He's already provided reconciliation, restoration, deliverance, all that. It's already done. But you have to lay claim to it. You got to reach out and take it. You got to trust him.